if, uh, <clears throat> if this is your first Sunday at Windsor, you've picked a good one because you're getting two preaches this morning. Um, I'm going to have a go, and then Sarah's going to have a go. Um, <clears throat> over the past couple of months or so, um, those of us in the preaching workshop have been up here at the front attempting to lead us uh, as a church in some thoughts on Joshua and what God's word um, has to say to us through this story of a man who led the nation of Israel. Sarah and I have the task this morning of looking into uh, what the final chapter of Joshua has to say to us in uh, 21st century Belfast. Now, neither, <coughs> neither Sarah or I have taught or preached from the front, and so we've taken some advice from those more accustomed to being in our current sets of shoes. <coughs> I came across an article in the Baptist magazine uh, a number of months ago that was written by a retired pastor. It was originally published in 1980, has been republished again this year. Uh, the article uh, was based on this guy's reflection on his lifetime of preaching and contained uh, words of advice for would-be preachers. His reflections concluded that if he was to do it all again, he would knock 15 minutes from every sermon that he did. <clears throat> now, unfortunately, I'm not able to cut the full 15 minutes from my sermon today. The reason behind this is that if I did, I would end up owing you five minutes. Uh, and I'm reassured by our resident physicist, Ken Smith, that that's actually impossible. Anyway, let's turn uh, to Joshua chapter 24. Um, the chapter itself, as well as being the final chapter of the book, is actually a fairly good summary of what God has done for the nation Israel up to this point in time. And God is just gathering the people together and is reminding them of this. I'm going to draw out a couple of points from looking at verses 1 to 13, uh, and then after our time of communion, Sarah will be picking up from verse 14 until the end and sharing some thoughts. What we find in our reading of this chapter is that there's, there's three key issues, three key points that are drawn out. There's demonstrations of God's power, there's demonstration of God's faithfulness, and there's also God's call to obedience. First 13 verses give us some amazing examples of how God demonstrated his power and faithfulness to his, paper, to his people over time. The second part of the chapter concentrates on God's call to obedience, which Sarah will be looking at. Now, the beginning of the chapter tells us of how Joshua gathers the people together. It would appear to be one of the final times, if not the final time, that he's able to address the nation of Israel before he dies. So he's brought together the elders the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And this, in my head, this was kind of like a meeting of the executive up in Stormont. Um, the only difference here is that these guys, the people that were, that were gathered um, with Joshua, under the direction and the provision of God, they actually got some stuff done. Um, but we go back on then to, to looking at verses 2 to 13. Joshua then proclaims the word of the Lord to the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, now that gets my attention, and I'm guessing whenever Joshua announced that, that grabbed the attention of the leaders that were there. And then basically in the next 12 verses, um, it's, it's God reminding Israel of how he has intervened and provided for them over the years, right from the time of Abram. God reminds them that at various crisis points in their history, where their welfare has been threatened, he has come to their rescue. He has intervened on their behalf. There are, there are three clear episodes within the first half of this chap chapter 
that clearly demonstrate God's power and God's faithfulness. The first of these is contained in the verses 2 to 4, when God takes Abram out of his family and his new homeland of Haran, where he had moved with his father Terah, his wife Sarah, and his nephew Lot. Terah was embroiled in the worship of other gods, and various commentaries would suggest that Abraham was actually not exempt from this practice either. Yet God reached into that situation and removed Abraham from that arena and sent him on his way to Canaan. God's plans were much bigger for Abraham, and we read in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, just what these these plans are. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." God was faithful in following through on this promise as he had established the nation of Israel through Abraham. The second episode here is told to us in verses 5 to 7. God recalls how the nation of Israel was freed from the slavery to the Egyptian under Pharaoh's rule. We can go back to chapter 6 of Exodus to hear the thundering words of God to Moses as he promises the deliverance of his people. These are some of my favourite verses. I love these verses. And when I read them, I just imagine um, the power in God's voice as he delivers these words. I hope I'm not being irreverent here, but it reminds me um, of the the kind of rousing speech given by Mel Gibson in his character as uh, William Wallace in Braveheart. Um, It's just as he's kind of gearing his troops up um, to battle with the English. And he he finishes off with the line, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Um, I didn't want to do a Scottish accent there in case the sounds was from Wales or something like that. But it's just this kind of sense of, of, of power and of, and of passion that, that God delivers these words. And these, these are the words that he says. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I can just imagine God delivering that. I can hear the power um, in those words. And God emphasizes again and again that it is he and only he who can deliver and will deliver the nation from slavery and we know that he did Joshua reminds us of this in verse 7 of of chapter 24 and when they cried to the Lord he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them and your eyes saw what I did in Egypt the third episode in which we learn of God's power and faithfulness is found in verses 8 to 13 
God records here how he delivered nations into the lands of Israel when they went to battle. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand, and I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards you did not plant. We also know in Joshua chapter 7 that as well as bringing victory to Israel, God also brought defeat. Achan sinned against God by taking some of the devoted things during the defeat of Jericho. Israel was subsequently defeated in their first attempt to take Ai. However, when the sin was rooted out and when it was dealt with, the next attempt to take Ai was successful as God delivered them into the hands of Israel. The giving of these lands and nations to Israel was also a demonstration of God's faithfulness, as he had promised Abraham to do so um, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, verses 18 to 21. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. And just to remind them again of the source of power behind the Israelites conquering of the land they came across, God sets the record straight in verse 13 of chapter 24. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You ate the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. I'm realizing there's a lot of information there. There's a lot of toing and froing between Genesis, Exodus, and Joshua. So let's do a quick recap. <clears throat> God has demonstrated his power and his faithfulness in these three areas. Number one, Abraham is taken out from pagan worship and called by God. God uses Abraham to establish the nation of Israel as his chosen people. God, promise, God promises uh, to not only establish the nation, but to provide a land for them to inhabit. Number two, God delivers the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He delivers them from slavery, and by acts of power in the plagues, he does so, freeing them from their captives. Delivery of nations into the hands of Israel in battle. Nations and land were given to Israel by the hand of God. Land which had not, they had not built with their own hands, but land that had been given to them in battle by the mighty hand of God. Now, any teachers... Uh, with us this morning, they'll recognize this. If anybody's given a presentation, uh, they're kind of given this as a kind of model to follow. Tell people what you're going to tell them. Tell them, and then tell them what you've told them. And this, this appears to be what God has done with the people of Israel. He promised to make Abraham a father of nations. He promised Israel that he would free them from slavery in Egypt. And he promised them a land in which to dwell. 
through demonstrations of his power and faithfulness uh, to his original promises, God has fulfilled all that he would said he would do. And like any good lecturer, God is just reminding the leaders of Israel what he has done. So, what does this first half of, of Joshua uh, say to us now? Um, very simply, God is still powerful and God is still faithful. Um, I just wanted to, I suppose, pose a few questions under each of those headings. Not necessarily geared towards answering, but some, of us, some questions for us to think about. God is powerful. God is still powerful. Do we believe and accept that God is a sovereign God? Do we see God in all areas of this world and in our lives? Do we look for him in this world and we do, do we look for him to act in our lives? Do we believe that he can heal not only physical and mental illness, but also that he can heal our sinful hearts? Do we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in guiding and directing our lives? And God is faithful. God is still faithful. Can we testify to the faithfulness of God in our lives? When things don't work out just as we have planned or as we had prayed for, do we still believe that God is faithful? When prayer is not answered within our timescales, or not at all, do we still believe that God is faithful? Let us hold hard and fast to the promises of God. That he has sent his son Jesus, that we may live life and have it abundantly. And as we remember this truth, uh, we just move into a time of communion. At this time, could I just ask the guys that are serving uh, to come up to the front and join us? And perhaps the musicians would come to the front as well. Hello again. Uh, we have been reflecting this morning on the faithfulness of God and the power of God, which are two of the major themes flowing throughout the book of Joshua and which are very much the message of this final chapter of Joshua 24 as Dave has taken us through. So we're going to pick up the story again at verse 14. So some of you were clever enough to have kept your thumb in the Bible, if not page 240 on the, the Pew Bibles. Um, but we're going to pick it up at verse 14. And as Dave got us to picture the scene, we want to think about that there's, we've got the elders there, the leaders, the judges, the officials of Israel. They're all gathered. And Joshua has just taken them through their entire history and God's deliverance of them as a nation and the fulfillment of his promise in giving them their land. They can be under no illusion at this stage about who God is and how much he loves them because it's by his hand that all of this has happened. So, Joshua says to them now, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua challenges the Israelites to live a life of obedience to God. He has laid it all out for them. He is saying, you have seen what Yahweh has done for you. Now what will your response be? Will you serve him or not?
Joshua is very direct here because there can be no ambiguity about the seriousness of what he's asking. It is a question of the Israelites leaving behind their old practices, the gods of their forefathers, and intentionally choosing to follow God and serve him alone. They must decide. They must now choose. I think it's interesting that God gives us a choice. He hasn't made us like robots, but asks us to take a conscious decision to follow him He calls us to turn away from other gods, from all other things, people, distractions that go on in our lives that demand our attention, and he asks us to follow him. Have you come to that point in your life when you realize who God is and what he has done for you, and therefore you know that you must follow him? Because what other response can there be except to acknowledge him as God? And I know for many of us here this morning, uh, we can look back to a point in our lives where we have made that commitment in a very conscious way and where we made a life commitment to God and became a Christian. I also wonder, though, if this needs to be a daily decision. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that in any way we doubt our salvation and effectively become a Christian every day, but perhaps at the start of each new day, we should be saying to God, I choose you. Amidst all of the other things that are going to crowd in on my life today, Lord, I choose you. The Israelites seemed ready for the challenge. They seemed up for it. And they reply to Joshua, sorry, they reply to Joshua, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He he protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And surely for Joshua, this is exactly what he wants to hear. His mission is complete. The people are in their land and they have declared that they will follow their God. But Joshua actually comes back with a shocking response. Joshua said to the people in verse 19, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. You've got to think, what is Joshua doing here? He challenges the people to serve God and now he comes back to say, you can't. Why would he do this? He does it because Joshua needs them to understand the seriousness of this commitment. He doesn't want their saying yes to be a temporary decision. This is not about getting um, caught up in the moment and going with the crowd because it feels right. This is a life-changing decision. He reminds them again of who God is. This is a holy and jealous God. And I realize that we tend to have fairly negative associations with that word, jealous. Um, Maybe it's strange to hear God described in that way. But make no mistake about it. God wants our undivided love he wants our whole beings he wants every single part of us to belong to him Sunday morning isn't enough 
how we behave and who we are in the safety of our own home is not enough. We need to belong to him at work, at school, at college, on the sports field, when we're reading, shopping, watching TV. We need to belong to God. We need to belong to him when we're out with our friends who aren't Christians in the same way as we belong to him when we are worshipping and with fellow believers. Now, I do realise this is a lot easier to say than it is to do. And it's interesting to read this passage in Joshua where we have front row seats to seeing the Israelites make this decision, this commitment before God. But yet we know what happens to them as a nation. We know that over the years they don't keep their side of the promise. And that many kings come and go who do not follow God. And so the people don't follow God, even though God sends them prophets to guide and direct them. They don't listen, but instead they start to look at the other nations around them and and be influenced and allow themselves to be influenced by their their practices and their religions. And often when I read those passages in the Old Testament, I, I almost can't believe it. And I want to ask them, how have you got from this point, which we're reading about here in Joshua, to the point where you worship a Canaanite goddess called Asherah? who is so far from our holy God that it just seems absurd that the Israelites have allowed themselves to be taken in by that. And yet, when we look at ourselves, I am so aware that we allow ourselves to be taken in by all sorts of things in our culture today. We may not be sidetracked by other religions and have started erecting Asherah poles in our back gardens, but there are so many things which take our eyes from God and direct our worship elsewhere. And often this happens in subtle ways that we're not even conscious of. There's a constant barrage of expectations from society about how we should look, what we should wear, what we should eat, having a good salary, good school for the kids, and living in a good area, have a good pension plan. How easy is it for us to cross the line from being interested in those things to actually striving for them more? than we are for God. And perhaps without even realising, because none of those things are bad in themselves. And I think many of the things which actually consume us most are very good, like family, like friends, like our Christian commitments. So how do we get that godly balance? And I wish I had an easy answer to that. But I think part of it is choosing to serve God on a daily basis so that we are intentionally putting him first every day. It's also about taking time to consider what are those influences in our lives, subtle or otherwise, which have the potential to sidetrack our relationship with God. What vies for your attention? What consumes your thoughts? In your honest moments, what are those aspects of your life that God might speak into and remind you that he is a holy and jealous God? that he wants all of you, your whole heart. God uses Joshua to challenge the Israelites because he knows what's at stake. They need to see the big picture of God, that not only is God loving and faithful, but he is also holy and jealous and he cannot tolerate sin. And so if they persist in disobeying God and in going their own way, there will be consequences and God will bring disaster on them. These verses aren't easy to hear. David talked about this last week in the final chapter, or the chapter 23. 
Um, we saw it in chapter 7 with Achan's sin, where God held not just Achan, but the whole of the Israelite people um, to account for Achan's blatant disobedience. We worship a covenant God who is faithful to his promises, both in blessing and in judgment. And I must admit that this is something that I personally have been really convicted about in preparing for this morning. Because I needed to be reminded of that, just as Joshua needed to remind the Israelites. I need to be reminded of the big picture of who God is. In verse 14, Joshua says, Now fear the Lord. Listen to his language, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. What place does fear and reverence have in our worship of God? Are we reverently in awe of his holiness and power in the same way that we enjoy his love and faithfulness? Joshua challenged Israelites to really consider that question. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He doesn't want them to enter this commitment lightly. They must understand who they're choosing to serve and that following God is a serious business. Let's pick the passage up again in verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he drew up for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to the people, the stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. So the promise was made, and Joshua makes it official by drawing up a covenant. The Israelites commit to serving and obeying God, and there's accountability. Joshua will not let them forget this decision. He sets up this stone as a reminder and declares that the people are witnesses against themselves, witnesses to the promise that has been made and to holding each other to that commitment. There's a real sense of beginning here. The Israelites finally have their land. God has fulfilled his promises. And God's people have committed to following him and to reminding each other of that commitment. That sense of accountability is really important in the Christian life because we're not going to get it right all the time. And we need to support and encourage each other and remind each other of how God has called us to live. There's always going to be things that are going to distract us along the way. But this is a matter of the heart. As Joshua said in verse 23, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. We won't always get it right, but ultimately, where do our hearts lie? Joshua's heart was with God. He walked the talk. In the final part of Joshua 24, verse 29, we read that Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at an age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at timnath Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua finished well. And what a legacy to leave. The fact that the Israelites served the Lord under his leadership. 
Do we ever consider what our legacy will be? I'm not going to say anything more about that, but I do think it's an interesting question. What will your legacy be? What will mine be? This is the final chapter on our series of Joshua, and it has been an incredible book to work through, to see God's faithfulness to the Israelite people, his power in conquering the promised land, and his call on their lives to live for him, to be obedient and to follow in his ways. We've left a handout, or a sheet, I'm not really sure what you would call it, it's only this size, in your pews, um, in the little kind of plastic boxes, which you will see. Um, We really want to encourage you to reflect on this series for yourselves. Um, We have pulled out these key themes that we've seen throughout Joshua of God's faithfulness, power, and call to obedience. And sometimes it's helpful to have something tangible like this as a starting point, and we've put on a couple of verses with that in mind. You might find it helpful, you might not. Um, But we just wanted to encourage you to reflect on it for yourselves. What has God been teaching you? Because it is an amazing book and there's so many of God's truths in it. So maybe later today or sometime this week as as part of your own quiet time with God, why not just take some time out and reflect on this wonderful book and the story of Joshua and what we can learn from him. There is no doubt that our God is an awesome God. And his call on our lives is the same today as it was for the Israelites. To choose to choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And I'm going to leave it there and let's sing together.